filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Tell you guys about the sample. Uh, sampler. Yes, um, I'm already scared. You should be. Uh, it's, it's a terrifying device. Uh, I think I actually should should start by saying my legal advice to you is to not do the sampler. Um, that is my legal advice, not Adams uh, nor anyone else attached to the show. That's only me, Jason, who is not again not a lawyer. Um, not actually legal advice. I'm just saying it is. <laughs> um. So years ago, uh, a friend of mine wanted to come up with a way to get drunk really fast and not have to continue buying drinks throughout the night. Um, it was just sort of an idea that he bounced around and never really came to anything. Uh, after months of kicking around, never really discovering what he should do, uh, his roommate Dave had been watching the junior-senior video Move Your Feet, which features a, uh, an animation of a squirrel doing uh, shots in tune with the beat at one point. Um, and Dave was like, you should do like the squirrel and just do a bunch of shots, rapid fire without taking any time to breathe or anything. Um, and so they talked about it for a few minutes and what they came up with was six shots. You line up six shot glasses and you pour one shot uh, of each of the liquors that you have. Um, the idea at the time was one light rum, one dark rum. This is, uh, incidentally where the... This is why we're talking about this, is because our own Stephen Streff uh, mentioned light rum and dark rum earlier today. Trying to um, compel me to drink it yes, tonight. It try- did not work. No, it, but it did it, create this story, so, or yes. inspire the telling of this story. Um, one vodka, gin, bourbon, and tequila. That was the original sampler. So really five different kinds of booze with uh, one subgenre splitting off, depending on which genre of rum you think is the... The, the leader of the pack. I don't really know how this is going to work. Um, you, can, you can split it up any way you want, and it doesn't have to be a specific order. When you do the sampler, you get to pick what order the shots are coming in, um, which is important. Which you shouldn't do. Yes, again, when you do the sampler, which you should not do. Um, but you line them up in the order that you're going to do them, or not do them, um, and you take six shots, one right after the other, uh, until they are gone. Um, Usually after shot number three, you should, like, inhale some air for, for uh, your lungs, who have done nothing to deserve this punishment that's coming, but are going to be dragged down into the mud with the rest of you. Um, and generally speaking, you should probably make those first two shots bad. Like, whatever you don't like the most, put them towards the front. Uh, because as it, as it goes on, it's going to get harder, and you need the liquors that you like uh, to carry you through to the end. Um, in any case, what happens when you do the sampler is... Nothing really happens right away, and you nope. start. You have just long enough to wonder, like, what happened here? Like, did I have I made a horrible this, mistake? Did this not count? Did it all somehow, somehow like dissolve itself, and I haven't had anything to drink? About twenty minutes, maybe fifteen minutes, given your metabolism, you will feel a very strong spike of adrenaline, 
Uh, and within about a minute of that adrenaline spike, which and I'm, I'm, I'm serious, you will be able to feel it coming. Uh, you will be hammered. Uh, <laughs> it happens all at once, and I've seen it happen in multiple people, so it's not like one person is a weird reaction. Um, and then you're done, you're done drinking for the night is the, is the good news. You don't need any more booze, so you can just be at full strength, uh, and, you know, then you rock it out into public and subject them to you, uh, until someone drags you home eventually. And that and is the sampler. If you do this, which you never ever should, make sure you give your name. I don't care if you're male, female, whatever. Give your name as Jason Anderson. Yeah, that's of Crofton, fine. Maryland. That is <laughs> that is what Crofton you have to anymore, do. So you can give uh, all the fake names and addresses you want. Uh, <laughs> but my legal advice is don't do that because you can go to jail for that. <laughs> if you get picked up and you give a fake name, that's another thing they can charge you with. So don't do yeah, that. Don't everyone except the police. I haven't been picked up, by the way, ever. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are a uh, drinking podcast with a soccer problem, and that introduction should dispel any doubt about that. We're also all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about soccer, um, less so about alcohol, actually. But we write about soccer. We write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, and whatever else strikes our fancy. Tonight we are talking all DC United, and it's not particularly good news. They lost 4-1 to in Toronto this week, and we're going to talk about that. The Montreal Impact, fresh off a 5-1 win over a team that beat United 4-1, to uh, is coming to RFK this weekend, the Montreal Impact, and Yay! we uh, are going to preview that with, you know, to the best of our ability, without crying or anything else i can't promise that there will be no crying yeah so ben why don't you kick us off what are you drinking i'm still slowly recovering from being sick so i need and it being conservatively seventeen thousand degrees today under the heat dome uh i'm going with gatorade nice regular old yellow gatorade they make the uh little thing it looks like those gatorade coolers that you put and then you put the powder in and Mm -hmm. yeah Adam's trying to heckle me along, I think, by showing me his drink. My drink that I'm really excited about. Ooh, it's really good, too. Uh, uh, let, me, let me talk another 20 minutes about Gatorade powder, then. <laughs> let's, let's break down the history of Gatorade. You know, let's Gator not. from Florida, because it was invented at the University ben, ben, of ben, Florida. Ben, I, I know you know that I'm really excited about this, and I appreciate your, your trolling me, but I am drinking a Gin Ricky float. And Ben, you okay. were the inspiration for this, somewhat. You in that damned heat dome. Um, yeah. You had a beverage recently that changed your life, and you told us all about it. You had a it, cheer wine float. Yep. If you uh, have a cookout near you, go immediately. Keep listening to this podcast while you do so, but move immediately to the nearest cookout and get a cheer wine float. Or or get a gin Ricky float, because I made a, a whiskey – or not gin. It's actually a whiskey Ricky float, bourbon Ricky. Uh, just the usual proportions – just put in a bigger glass and drop a couple of scoops of ice cream. Maybe dial back on the uh, the club soda a little bit just, you know, because you're adding more non-alcoholic material right. to it and you want to be able to taste the whiskey. And this is lovely. What, what with kind of ice cream, ice cream did you, uh, Just regular vanilla ice cream? Okay. Regular French vanilla. It, it's French vanilla ice cream, uh, bullet, bourbon, club soda, lime, and nice. it is delicious. I'm not going to lie. Sounds good. I was really excited about it and I'm glad that I did it because it is tasty. Jason... What inferior drink are you drinking tonight? Because this is wonderful. This is well, not going to be top. I won't. I won't admit at all that it's inferior, um, because I am drinking Dead Rise because oh, it fine. is 
It is uh, hot as hell outside. <laughs> um, it is, which is why even I though, ice cream. Where where I live, just south of Annapolis, is thankfully sheltered slightly by a river uh, and tends to get like a five degree break on temperatures. Um, today, it really didn't matter. Um, also, as I have to go during the day towards the heat, it, it also doesn't matter. I don't get to hide from it. Um, but when I come home, it's at least slightly cooler, but today it was like, oh, great. Uh, so it's 95 instead of 100. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, and, and yes, if you're wondering, I did sarcastically mutter to myself in, in, in nature, hoping that nature would pick up on it and be like, oh, we're, we're kind of being a jerk to this one person and we should dial it down a little. So if it gets cool, like tomorrow, you can thank me specifically for my, uh, barbs at mother nature. Working for the common man there, Jason. Humble. I like it. (laughs) What I don't like was DC United's performance on Saturday. I like that segue, though. I did enjoy making that segue. (laughs) That was fun for me. Sebastian Jovinko, it turns out, is still quite good at soccer. He scored a hat trick en route to TFC's 4-1 dismantling of our DC United. Uh, Jared Jeffrey scored one to equalize it in the first half only to immediately... uh, for United to immediately give up another goal to Jovinko. Um, Jeffrey also, you know, gave them the first goal, gave Toronto their first goal, essentially, and their third goal, I think it was, by fouling Jovinko really stupidly and unnecessarily just outside DC United's box, setting up his two free kick goals. He would score another one later on in the game. Um, ben, let's let's talk about Jared Jeffrey a little bit. Despite the goal, I had him probably as my worst player on the field because, in part, because of those two fouls. But he wasn't really that effective anywhere else. No, he was really quite terrible. Uh, his goal aside, he was he, he never looked very comfortable playing in that uh, middle of the midfield three role uh, ahead of Mar- uh, Marcelo Sarvas. He never. He just seemed a step behind everything and everyone, and he was just running around and committing fouls and doing a bad job of it. And I think we can now, after a couple uh, times trying him here, I think we can safely say that that's not a role we can have him in. They, they need to find another way to fill that hole in the central midfield. They do have other wingers that they can try and move Nick DeLeon back in the middle, but... I just think that that role for Jared Jeffrey can't occur anymore because it's just not working. Yeah, I know on the year, his, when he's been in the game, his passing has been pretty good. One of the problems in this game is he kept having the ball taken off his foot. He, he wasn't quick enough to move it. He wasn't quick enough on the other side of the ball to recognize danger, which is why he was always late and always fouling is because he, he was thinking two or three steps behind everyone else on the field, uh, yeah. except for his one 50-yard run that resulted in a goal. And it was a fantastic goal. It was a really smart run, um, and the team you know, made it count. And then he, his finish was, was ice cold. It was a really good finish. Jason, what do you think? Uh, we've had some people say that he should be, uh, when he's on the field with Marcelo, he should be the deeper of the two. I, I don't know if I buy that, especially watching what happened after Marcelo came out of the game this weekend. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the issue there is that in this in this formation, um, that deep role is so important to the team. Um, and so you need to have a better player there. Um, so Marcelo's ability to pick out long passes, um, to drop in underneath a midfield three, um, it's 
too valuable um, as compared to risking it with Jeffrey, where it, it's an interesting situation because in the past we've said Jeffrey probably belongs in the deep role of a midfield three, but that's a hypothetical. Um, in this with this group of players, he's not really suited to to that role, uh, especially not he's not going to produce what Sarvas has produced. Um, whereas uh, Marcelo, even though we've said over and over, you know, he hasn't really played this role before. Um, usually what he used to do is play in a, before, before he came to MLS, he was in a, uh, holding midfield two and a four, two, three, one, and he would defend a little higher up the field and then drop underneath in, in, um, attempts to distribute. Um, so he's, I guess, been, he, he's used to dropping underneath into that space and then having to be in charge of more of the distribution load, um, than, than Jeffrey has. Um, I think Jeffrey is someone you'd think of as, more of a pure anchor, um, and he wins the ball and distributes it, and he clogs up the middle. Um, United needs more than that with the personnel they're putting on the field. Um, so I think that the issue for Jeffrey at this point is um, the team that's that's getting put out there when he's in and De Leon keeps his starting spot at that point, uh, the balance is too shifted towards defensive players that are conservative when they're on the ball. Um, both Jeffrey and De Leon keep the ball, but they don't necessarily do that much with it going forward. Um, especially in the past few weeks. Um, I think Jeffrey did get credited with a, uh, with one key pass this week. Um, but his passing percentage was down and in general, he just, like you said, he looked slow, um, slow of thought, not, not physically slow. I think he's about average in that regard, but he looked behind the play a lot. Uh, and it also didn't help that, uh, Toronto really emphasized their diamond to the point that it became, instead of it being a five on four midfield battle overall, it became four on three, just in the middle because Mm -hmm. their central midfielders tucked in effectively and they ended up overloading, uh, United a lot. Um, even though they did not have Will Johnson and Michael Bradley on the field, uh, which that just makes the loss that much more galling is that TFC didn't even have to put their best 11 in this game, uh, and it was – they played quickly. Um, they played intelligently, and United didn't really do a good job of creating a – giving themselves any outlet towards controlling the game. They just ended up at the pace Toronto wanted to play, and, and it did help them score the goal that they scored. Uh, but it also came with giving up a goal immediately after that and just generally looking behind all over the field. Um, and that I think falls on the veterans not reading the game that was unfolding before them. Um, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes, it became clear that United need to, needed to stomp on the brakes of this game. Um, mm-hmm. they, they needed to slow this game way down. Um, I was just watching, um, Mad Max last night and I'm thinking of the, the cars that would pull up behind you and launch the, like, uh, the spear that would hook into you, the barbed spear, and they would just hit their brakes and drag. Um, United needed to be like that um, in this game because Toronto was playing at a speed that United was clearly uncomfortable with. They needed to ratchet the game way down, um, and instead they just let it careen out of control forward, and you end up with Giovinco hitting his stride, and now you've you've given up four goals all of a sudden. It, yeah. just, it happens like that real quick. Yeah, I wrote a kind of an instant 
reaction to this on on the site on blackandredunited.com after this. And at the end, it, it was supposed to be a three things post. And at the end, I put a bonus fourth thing apologizing to the rest of MLS. And I stand by that apology. We are sorry for getting Jovinko back on track. And now you all have to deal with him, yeah. too. We are sorry for that. Um, I wish and- DC United would have done a better job. Truly. I really, really do. <laughs> Um, it would make this podcast, this particular episode, a lot more fun to record, but yeah. obviously it didn't happen. Um, so he's your problem now, world. And that too goes to that's one of the things that the guys on the field need to notice. And also, um, I think maybe the whole team should have been a little more clued in from the very start, um, even in game planning. I mean, obviously, everyone knows you plan for Giovinco. Um, that doesn't take. You know, if someone just read some numbers, you didn't even have to be a soccer fan. You just read some stats. Um, you're like, oh, that guy scores a bunch of goals. You should probably stop him. Um, but uh, I feel like United didn't get in his face. I mean, that's been part of the problem for Giovinco is that he's been getting uh, – he's been irritated. Um, people have been getting under his skin. He has been irritated with his teammates. He's been irritated with referees. In this game, he never looked irritated. Um, United fouled him hard a couple times, but it was always – a desperate foul trying to stop him from doing something else. And when Giovinco gets fouled like that, he get he rolls over and he's thinking to himself, that's fine, I'll score. And then, you, you know, who's going to feel bad then? You know, I might have a bruise, but you're losing the game. Um, that's and that's how, he, that's how he was for, last year. Yeah, um, for better or worse, that's something Bobby Boswell does a pretty good job of most of the time is well, it, making – he, right, he does too good sometimes, a job of it. <laughs> well, yeah, he's sometimes not very judicious in selecting yeah. when to dial that back. Um, but this was a game where the fouls against Giovinco were all reactive fouls rather mm-hmm. than proactively trying to bother him and get under his skin and, you know, knock him down at midfield rather than a yard outside the box. Um, but that was the problem is that they were having trouble catching up to him. And so the fouls against him were fouls of somebody just lunging in, hoping for the best, not the fouls of someone saying like, I have an idea behind this foul. It was just, Oh God, please don't score right now. Um, and he he was like, okay, fine, I won't score right now. Just give me like 30 seconds and you guys can do a terrible job of setting up your wall on the second goal um, and allow Jay Chapman, who's not physically going to hold off anyone on DC United, uh, except for maybe Lucho Acosta. Um, who, I mean, honestly, somebody should have been like bear hugging him and dragging him to the ground or something. Like there's no justification for leaving one TFC player screening your goalkeeper specifically mm-hmm. designed for Giovinco to blast the ball into that space. And Chapman just easily gets out of the way, like get behind him and make it so that, okay, you're going to screen him, but the ball's going to hit you um, because I'm not going to let you duck out of the way of it. Um, yeah. Do any, do anything other than allow him to stand in that space and then effectively screen your goalkeeper. Cause at that point, why do you even bother setting up the wall? Um, yeah. and, I, and I think they did it. I think they definitely did it on the second free kick goal. I think they did yeah. it. Also on the first free kick goal as well. Yeah, I think the idea was there on the first, but Jovinko just put it over the wall. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was going in no matter what happened on the wall. Maybe some of this is is probably youthful inexperience by Wara not directing the defenders. Some of it's got to be on the defenders though well, too. And we do have to remember this was at the end where the TFC supporters groups are. Um, so a goalkeeper can yell and shout and wave his hands, but at a certain point they can't really hear what you're telling them to do. Um, and veterans and this team has enough veterans where they should be aware of that. Like, hey, I can't hear Travis yelling at me what to do. We should, you know, someone can spin and, and stay hooked in the wall, but like look back and then, you know, relay the instructions. Yeah. Um, 
Or uh, I know that there's a trick that you'll occasionally see goalkeepers wearing metal studs do, and they'll uh, kick back against the, the post um, just mm-hmm. to make a loud noise. Uh, if, if you can't hear the words, you can at least turn around and see hand signals. Um, I don't know that um, I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that they couldn't hear what Wara was saying and there was just a disconnect. But certainly something had to change in the defending of those two free kicks, whether it's the instructions given how they're being given or uh, just having the awareness to say like, hey, this guy's setting up to screen our goalkeeper. Um, so it's it's to me probably a collective failure um, rather than one or two players to look at. I think the whole team was fairly poor uh, throughout the game. Yeah. And on both sides of the ball, I think you could say United, this mm-hmm. was a, a game where in some ways, even though this was a little bit more open and back and forth, United got out Benny balled by Toronto, not for the first time this year. Uh, once they got ahead, Toronto was pretty content to sit back and counter, and they actually did a little bit of that beforehand. Right. When United had possession, they couldn't turn it into anything, really. There was very little danger other than the one passing move, which was a very nice passing move and a very nice run by Jeffrey. That was the one real moment of danger. Right. We, The guys capitalized on it. They just didn't create enough of that. Or, and, or anything other than yeah, that. Yeah, or anything other than that um, one And moment. they did it with, you know... They ended up with 57% of possession. Uh, they ended up with 6% higher passing accuracy as a team than TFC. Uh, but it didn't matter. Um, TFC went out and got the lead, gave it back immediately, but then took it back immediately. And from there, the game states kind of took over. And TFC is, because of their, they started the season on that long road trip, they got really good at looking for a lead and sitting on that lead. Um, so they got, they, you know, they screwed up, uh, once and took it right back. And from there, the game was up kind of over. Um, Mm -hmm. the third goal really felt like a nail in the coffin rather than like, well, you know, if they get one quickly after halftime, then maybe we have a game here. We can get back to three, three, um, TFC and DC have played a ton of games. They've had three, three draws in the past. Um, they've Mm -hmm. had some really bizarre games. This never felt like it was going to be like that. This felt yeah. like at 3-1, it was like, well, we're probably losing 3-1 or maybe worse. And it did get worse. Was that 3-3 draw a... I remember it was DC United had 10 men. Was that a Debro hat trick game? Um, he scored I don't remember. all three goals What against? I remember about the 3-3 game was that Ethan White was kept on the, uh, um, on the sideline after an injury. Um, TFC was uh, allowed to play with white being kept on the sideline when he should have been waved in. It was a very confusing sequence and a lot of players had stopped because the referee didn't make it clear what was going on. And, uh, Julian de Guzman just took a shot from 35 yards cause no one was near him. And, you know, he's a professional so he can put the ball in the top corner under no pressure. And it went in and the referee was like, I guess it's a goal. And everyone lost their minds. Yeah. That sounds right. Sounds about right for that time period in MLS <laughs> refereeing. Yeah. Well, so, well <laughs> that's happening a lot nowadays, too. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so what can DC United do about the attack? Um, are, Acosta didn't exactly come out on fire, but he, he warmed up a little bit as the, the game went on. He had a really nice uh, chip to put yeah. Lloyd Sam in behind and a good tackle. Uh, I would say he ended, up with, for a corner, but. he ended up with one of the better games of anyone on DC. Um, yeah, in the end, he, he, um, he the first twenty minutes he wasn't great, no, but after no. that he definitely came into it. 
Yeah, I mean, as much as any United player uh, could. I think I'm looking at the stats page now. He had two key passes. He dribbled past two guys. He did have five five times where he lost the ball, but I think a lot of those were early in the game. Yeah. Um, he even got involved. Um, I think he, he ended up leading the team with tackles. He wow. had five successful tackles, which is not what you want out of your number 10. <laughs> um, I mean, it's great that he's throwing that in as part of the bargain, but... Uh, it's an indicator of how badly this game went that Lucho Acosta is having to be the team's leader in total tackles. That should not happen. Um, but he was maybe the only player who seemed to be on the, the same tempo as TFC. So, you know, mm-hmm. he did his best on both sides of the ball, which is a good way to keep himself playing 90 minutes. He played 90 minutes in this one. Yeah, um, first time. And it's a good way to make your argument that you shouldn't be taken out of games uh, necessarily. Um, it helps that it happened at the same time that a lot of other guys did not make an argument that they should be on the field for 90 minutes. Can we uh, can we get some Clockwork Orange-style action here and uh, sit Taylor Kemp down in a chair with his eyes uh, wide open and just showing him properly hit crosses from fullbacks for the next however long it takes? Including Houston. Yeah, he used to know how to do this, and for basically all of this year, and it's gotten even worse recently, he can't hit a proper cross to save his life. Yeah, yesterday no one on DC United could hit a proper cross. It was it was crazy to see the number of forward movements that were essentially broken down because of an under-hit pass, and yeah. then we'd get the momentum going again and get it into their third and hit a wildly over-hit cross. It yeah. was like, if you could increase the tempo of your passes and rein the crosses in just a little bit everything would have been fantastic but they were just off on the the passes and then really off on on the crosses it was it was kind of weird to see that just consistently and no adjustment ever made by any player except i will say the bench made one adjustment um bring in patrick nyako at least that changed that dynamic a little mm-hmm. um i i mentioned this during the game that Seeing one of the first things he did was go on a dribble at somebody, force them to defend him inside the penalty box, um, mm-hmm. which he's been great at all year. And not enough people for DC United. It, basically, it's him and Lucho Acosta are the only players that make that consistently think I need to make sure this guy's on his heels inside the penalty area, trying to stop me while I've got the ball. Um, there's a lot of United players that will dribble at you outside the box, thirty yards out, or they'll settle for a cross or a pass or whatever. Um, but putting defenders on their heels is a hugely valuable thing. It doesn't just benefit the player who has the ball. It benefits the whole team because now the whole defense is scrambling and now lanes are going to open up. So you don't necessarily have to beat your man. You just have to put him on his heels long enough where he's giving you that that cushion. And now you have room to pass or shoot or something else. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an adjustment that United has not been able to make lately because he has been unavailable. Um, so seeing him back in the fold was important. Um I think if he is an hour, if he's got an hour in his legs for this weekend, I think he should be looked at as a starter. Um, yeah. It'd be nice to see him and Lloyd Sam on the field together because Lloyd Sam's a guy who's done that during his career. Yes, and he he's only done it once or twice in a DC United uniform. Though but he has I, Sam, Sam has been involved in a few setting up yeah. a few shots. So yeah, so I'd like to see both of them in. on the field with Acosta. Right. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be in the number nine spot, but hopefully. You know, we, and we this, put out a better 11 and this than we means, did this weekend. Yeah, and that means bringing De Leon into the middle. Uh, yeah. and, and Jeffrey, you know, 
Jeffrey becoming a sub rather than a starter, um, which is where he's at. Um, I understand going on the road and wanting to add one more defensive player, but I think in this game it was a it was a it was a misgiving. Uh, it was a mistake um, because I think TFC was a team that you needed to push back against rather than just sit in. Um, and and the other side of that is that if Jeffrey's going to play and be that extra defensive player on the field uh, in in this setup, then he has to help DC make it a boring, uneventful game. You know, people might not be entertained by it, but at least you're not losing 4-1. You know, if it's 0-0 at, you know, the 77th minute and Niarco comes on, maybe you steal a win. Mm-hmm. Um, but that only works if the defensive players actually effectively defend and slow the game down to the tempo that suits you as the road team. Because as a road team, you're not there to put on a show for the visiting fans. Sorry to Toronto fans, but when DC comes to town, they're not here to entertain you. They're here to ruin your day. Uh, that's how this works. Um, and instead, they played the willing, bumbling uh, antagonist that you know is going to lose from the start. It's like a bad superhero movie. We played um, the Washington Generals instead of DC United. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good way to put it. So I, I think that's as much of, of this weekend's game that I can stomach, or as I can stomach. So let's talk about some transfer rumors that will certainly ruin our days. Um, the first one is really just an update on a transfer that doesn't actually seem to be going anywhere. Uh, a couple of teams called Maccabi in Israel have been after Steve Birnbaum, Maccabi Tel Aviv, and Maccabi Haifa. This one regards Maccabi Haifa, who nope. have apparently... Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Okay, I thought you guys said Haifa earlier. No, we, we were just asking. talking about how they were both involved. But yeah, and then didn't the correct recent... me on which one we're actually talking I, about. I anyway. didn't know yeah, you were going Yeah, we did just now. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ben. <laughs> thanks for waiting until we were recording to do that. That's Come on. You're a real pal. Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, has raised their um, lowball offer to a slightly less lowball offer. They've raised the... They were, what, offering 800000 before or yeah that was the rumor anyway yeah i think they started at six hundred thousand. they went to eight hundred thousand. they've raised their offer to 1.2 million dollars for steve birnbaum who dc united and mls rate at two million dollars so it's still barely half of what uh right the team and the league who owns the contract uh value him at and which is which is a fair and reasonable rating of a player breaking into the national team setup um right for the even US. his importance to DC United. Right. I'm not totally sure his, they would even let him go for for two million dollars right now, just because we need Steve Birnbaum on well, the field. I will say anything's going to happen this season. His age, uh, being you know, I know it's only his third season, but he is he graduated college at 23. Um, he had a yeah, red shirt year true. in there. Um, so at his age, this is probably the maximum you're going to get, bar like uh, just a dominant performance in qualifying in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Steve Goff put it in one of his articles about this subject that probably in the next 18 months, like this year or the, by the end of the 2017 season, if he's ever going to Europe, it probably has to happen then because teams look at your age and say 27, well, he's done developing. Um, right. and that's, true. that's it. Now, granted, he's a center back. So the prime years are a year or two later than forwards or wingers, but age still plays a major factor when these transfers come around. Um, I personally, I've been told by fans of several other teams that they think that two million is too much. Um, I feel like maybe they aren't appreciating what Burmam does. I think there's a 
weird perception that every DC player is bad because this, they are bad in the standings. Um, I don't really, I, I don't really understand the perception sometimes. I was also, um, it reminded me a little bit of the Andy Nahar transfer saga in which people outside of DC were like, no, no, he's not worth that much at all. And everyone in DC was like, please believe us. He is worth more than this. And then it turned out yeah. he was. Yeah. Um, and uh, he would probably have made DC United a decent chunk of money on their sell-on clause, if not for his injured knee. And he probably will still end up making DC that money in the future because he's too good for the Belgian League. He's going to end up going further than that. Mm-hmm. Um so I think this is a case where two two million sounds fair to me, and I also suspect that that offer is not going to come in uh, right mm-hmm. now, at least. Um, yeah, if they're moving 100,000 and 200,000, 300,000 at a time, uh, Maccabi Haifa, or Maccabi Tel Aviv, yeah. rather, then I don't think they're, they're going to, they're not going to quadruple their original right. offer. Um, so... Let's talk about one other rumor that we just got wind of today. Um, Report in the Turkish press saying that an offer has been put in by some team in Turkey for... Gaziantep Spor. Okay, sure, that one. (laughs) Uh, Without it written in front of me, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. That's fair. Um, Sean Franklin, DC United's fullback on the right side, um, who is, what, 34? No, 31. 31. Okay. He's not that old. Um, 31 year old Sean Franklin. I apologize for, for missing his age. Uh, there's an offer in for him reportedly to go to Turkey. Who knows if what the amount is or whether he wants to go to Turkey, but that's, that's the report from, from the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, I don't have any thoughts on that right now. Um, I just wanted to relay it. The article doesn't, um, mention, a price at all mm-hmm. nor I should say quote, this is our our guy ryan Kiefer from the site yes, had, he, he put this he's in, the one that unearthed this um uh just a few minutes before we were going to come on as far as i know um yeah. but uh yeah it doesn't mention quotes from any human being there's no not even like an agent or a coach in turkey speculating there's literally attaching to no one so it's it's an unsourced rumor. It, the fact that it's unsourced actually in, in a strange way almost makes it seem more credible because why would you otherwise link an arbitrary Turkish club with an arbitrary MLS defender? Um, it's not I, – I haven't heard of any Americans being at, at Gaziantep Spore where there would be like, oh, yeah, this guy is there and he would probably recommend him. Um, this is like a completely out of the blue thing. It's, it's like if you picked a random name off of a random MLS team and connected him to any of the like hundreds of top flight clubs around the world. And you said, this is a rumor now. Um, but the fact that it comes out of the blue so much, it's almost like, well, maybe there is something there because otherwise who would make this rumor up? Why, why would you do this? Um, maybe DC United, well, MLS in general has gotten to the point where just random ass transfer rumors with no basis in reality <laughs> We've made it. are a thing. Yeah, we made it guys. We're here. That's it for this segment. We will be right back to talk about the Montreal impact. Stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment. Would you, you can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? 
Uh, I think ghosts are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, we're going to try to struggle through this segment, but our normal optimism might be uh, conspicuous in its absence during this segment. And um, I don't apologize for Doom. that, but I just want to warn you. Warn you. Thank you, Ben. So, Doom. on the bright side, home games are a thing. They exist, and United gets to play one. After four straight road games, DC United returns to RFK Stadium this Sunday for Didier Drogba and the suddenly resurgent and how Montreal Impact. They beat the Philadelphia Union 5-1 to this weekend. Um, it's only their, what, second win since the end of May? But what a win it was. They they dominated that game front to back. Um Frankly, Jason Drogba and and Piatti were completely unplayable. What what changed for Montreal to get them back on track? Because they were both in, in at least Piatti, especially was in fine form early in the season. But through that winless streak, I don't remember a lot of people talking uh, about them. And suddenly they were completely. They looked like they don't belong in this league. They looked like they're better well, than anybody. Well, p- part of it has to be you know, put on the unions, uh, put at the union's feet. Um, Jim Curtin in the past has expressed some skepticism slash, um, some pretty strange thoughts on player rotation. Basically he's of the mind that he doesn't, he doesn't have the players. He can't pull it off. So he's never going to bother. And the union look like a team of players who haven't been given enough rest over the course of the season. They look tired, uh, mentally. They look tired physically. They couldn't keep up. Um, so that's but Chris Pontius had a nice goal though. He did, um, and it was like one of the only good things the Union did for the entire game. Um, Sounds familiar. Uh, other than Keegan Rosenberry and Andre Blake, they looked exhausted. Um, so that's part of the problem there. But but a big thing uh, for the impact was they were really good at playing through pressure um, in this game. The Union liked to press even on the road, and it's often burned them. If you look at their home record against their road record, it's uh, a stark difference. Um, even more stark than most other teams. It's it's other than NYCFC, everyone has a bad uh, road record in the East. NYCFC's record is uh, some sort of bizarre perversion, um, but that's their business. Uh, Montreal really 
every time the union tried to step and press, it seemed like the, the impact had an answer. Um, I think the game was kind of summed up. I, granted, I only watched the first 80 minutes, uh, before we had to come on. Uh, I didn't have enough time to get through the whole game. Um, but the third goal that the impact scored really summed up the game. Um, Philly tried to, to high, I mean, at that point they're losing two nothing anyway. So they tried to high press on, um, Victor Cabrera. They didn't, they didn't press correctly and they paid for it badly. What happened was Tranquilo Barnetta came out of a deep role to try and lead some pressure because he thought he, his team needed a lift. They needed some extra running from somewhere else. Um, he had some layer, a layer behind him to help if the pressure was broken, but he didn't have anyone with him to directly pressure the ball. So Cabrera got out of the trouble, found Patrice Bernier, who looked up and found the area that Barnetta had been in completely open. And at the other end of it was Ignacio Piatti, um, sort of like waving happily and be like, look, man, give me the ball. Um, so Bernier is not dumb. So he was like, okay, here you go. And, uh, all of a sudden it's Piatti, uh, running in, in a giant layer of space. And it all comes from, uh, Piatti laid the ball off to drug, but to score one of the easier goals, he's going to score. It was like seven touches from Barnetta's missed pressure to a goal. Um, and it all came from Barnetta not having any help on the initial layer of pressure. The, the second layer was there, but that first wave needed one more person or at least, um, a little, a little tighter knit pressure from the whole group. Um, Cabrera got out of it and the union were completely out of shape from that point on. Um, but that kind of, that's the test that Montreal puts you in is that they can hit you on the counter like that. Um, they are one of the best teams at breaking forward and playing at that speed. Um, not just because they have guys like Dominic Oduro, but because the tech, the players they have throughout their team have so much technique that they can play one and two touch vertical soccer um, without having to take the extra touch or without having to slow the play down. They know where they're going to go, even when they're on the run. Um, they know where the next yeah, pass been is going to be. By a, they've been described by a lot of people I know as a team of passers, yes. where everybody on the team can can play basically a, a central midfield passing role. And, uh, and, and they don't have to. And the thing is, they don't play slow tempo about mm-hmm. it. Um, they want to get up the field quickly. The downside is that this is the other side of it, of that test that they put you in is if you sit back and prevent that from ever happening, they have the skill to then settle in and pass you to death or get close enough where Piotti can dribble past somebody or hook in across and Drogba wins a ball in the air because he's Didier Drogba. Um, so they can beat you in both ways. Um, so if United wants to press because of the home team, that pressure has to be well organized every time. There's no... You know, you let your guard down once and they're off to the races. Um, they didn't even use Oduro. They didn't even have Oduro in this game. Um, they still had Michael Salazar, who people who watch preseason games might remember for he, he torched United. He was the guy with the giant afro um, that scored, I think, two goals on United in the preseason. Um, didn't play very much throughout the spring, uh, but has slowly started to come more and more of a part. He had two goals in a game, uh, I guess, like two weeks ago. Um, he has been sort of Oduro's stand-in. I think they're resting Oduro for the stretch is the idea, um, mm. letting Salazar run during the summer, um, and he's been effective. So even if Oduro doesn't play or only plays as a sub, they're going to have a speedster out there to go with Drogba and Piotti. Um, they just brought uh, Hernan Bernardello back, um, which is a strange, a little bit of a strange story because he played for Montreal. He came mid-season 2013, left mid-season 2014, 
has played for three different clubs on two different, or I'm sorry, three different continents uh, mm-hmm. since then, and is now back in Montreal uh, all within like 18 months. It's a strange way of doing business, but um, when he was here, he was very, very, very skillful. Um, um, who's it? Uh, Marco Donadell returned from injury. Uh, he played as a sub in this game. Um, he's their best pure destroyer. Uh, so they've, they're, they might have him as a starter. Bernardello might come in. Um, he'll upgrade them at the number eight or the, the playmaking role from deep. So all of a sudden, um, it's not a good time to be playing the impact. Um, to, to say the least, it, it really is going to be difficult to press them without giving up goals. And it's going to be difficult to just sit. I mean, you can't at home, you just sit in and the other team says, fine, we'll take the draw. Um, or we might beat you one, nothing. So United really has to deliver a high end performance in this one. If they're going to take three points, which they kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, what's going on at the other end of the field? For Montreal, they have no clean sheets since two scoreless draws in mid-June, and I think they have four clean sheets on the year, two of them in March and April. So right. what's going on with their defense right now? Um, there was a while where Laurent Simon was unavailable for um, the Euros. He was with Belgium. Um, he came back, played a game, sprained his ankle. Um, that's why he missed out against the Union. Um, when he's out, they don't really have... Victor Cabrera is, is a, a decent player, but you don't want him to be your best center back. Um, he's also undersized. I think he's only 5'10". That might even be generous. Um, Wondre Lefebvre is okay, but you don't want have him, to have him starting five or six games in a row. And now he's injured as well. Um, he, that's why he didn't play against the Union. They ended up with Hasun Kamara, who, um, if people remember Montreal's expansion season, you probably remember that he's not a center back. Um He'll he'll give his best, but he's it's he's not he's not good at it. Um, Donny Toya has been out uh, for much of the season. He was underrated last year as a fullback. Maybe not the kind of guy that you say, "Wow, what a great fullback," but still a, a pretty steady contributor for them. Um, a guy that doesn't get beat very often. He's he's quick. Um, he's athletic. He's fierce. Um, a fierce competitor. Um, so they've just been missing players a lot of times. They also outside of. Simon, they just don't have any high-level defenders. They've got some guys that are decent. Um, Evan Bush is a decent goalkeeper. There's a lot of guys who are decent. Um, but when they, when it's Simon and some guys and then Simon can't even play, you end up giving up goals you shouldn't. Um, and you know, there's really no good reason for them to have conceded a goal against the Union because they were that dominant. They should, they should have been able to keep a shutout in this game, and uh, they weren't up to the task. So there is some hope in that regard that even if Simon comes back, there are individuals that are not that great. Toya is back. He played against the union. Um, but it's still been watching them defend. It's been like, I understand why they haven't been able to turn all that attacking talent into more than what they are, because let's face it. The East is bad. Um, the teams in the East are all pretty bad or okay. Um, and Montreal isn't running away with it. Uh, and it's entirely down to their defenders and, and goalkeeping. Um, it's not like they're bad. They're just not good enough to go on a long run of shutouts. They can't sit in against you and hold you to a one nothing. They're not good at it. So it sounds like this game is going to be decided, I guess, uh, by the defenses. Because um, United, you know, last weekend notwithstanding, and 
actually either end of this last road trip, notwithstanding. Uh, United's defense is its best, the best part of the team, and sounds like, uh, and, and the attack is the worst, and it sounds like it's exactly the opposite for Montreal. So it'll be interesting to see see how it works. It's strength against strength and weakness against weakness. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah. So, so what can DC United do to take advantage of, of those two specific matchups? Well, I mean, in the back, um, United has been pretty poor against um, Piotti and Drogbo when they've had to deal with them. Um, the issue now with Piotti is that uh, there was a stretch of time where he was stuck out on the left wing. Montreal, uh, when Moro Biello came in, one of his first moves was to actually move to a, from a 4-2-3-1 built around Piotti to playing more of a 4-3-3 and pushing Piotti out to the left. Um this season, the four-two-three-one is back, but Piotti has sometimes been on the wing. Sometimes he's been in the middle. For a while there, he was in. He was on the left with Harry Ship playing in the middle, or even there was a stretch of time where Ship got benched and they were playing like uh, Lucas Antivero played in the middle, even though he's a pure winger. It was sort of an odd setup. I think it was designed to offset teams and say, you know, let's get our best attacking player away from teams' smartest defensive players, whether they be defensive mm-hmm. midfielders or center backs. Um, in this game, Piotti started or against the Union. He started in the middle, and then after about half an hour, he and Ship switched places, and then after halftime, they switched back again. Um, so that unpredictability uh, is going to be difficult for United, and they've got to account for it. Um, I think they need to get physical. I think they do have an advantage in that department um, in the midfield. Um, I, I'd like I'd like to see the wingers. Um, really running at the fullbacks because like I said, they're not that they're prone to mistakes. They're not, they're just not elite fullbacks. So you can, you don't have to be like, we have, we should just not attack this guy. It's not worth it. Um, on the other side of the ball, Drogba's movement is so good. Um, and United basically got put to bed by what was it? Um, after 11 minutes, he had scored twice and the game was effectively over. Um, Last time we went to Montreal. Right. Um, so coping with him is going to be difficult. We don't have the luxury of playing on a turf field and he'll just suddenly say, I can't play. Um, so, I mean, unless United wants to reschedule this game for a local turf venue, um, which I, I don't you know, think is going to happen. field just won't be playable, playable, but we've got a turf field right in the back. Right. That's you know, there. We can fit 4,000 fans <laughs> clustered around it and yeah. we'll put the rest up on the roof of RFK to look down on it. Right. Done. Um, so that's not going to help. Um, but, but it's, it becomes a team wide focus on staying organized and communicating and, um, covering for the guy that the first guy that steps to the ball, you've got to have someone to cover him. Um, if Montreal catches you or they beat that first layer of pressure and there's nothing behind it, then you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and that happens you know, pressure on the ball in, in DC's defensive half, it's going to happen if they try and high press. Um, that pressure has to be really well organized. Um, I do think if you pressure them effectively, you can eventually, the, the ball is eventually going to wind up with a Montreal defender. And at that point, you actually have a chance for your pressure to turn into something immediately. Um, but it comes with the risk where one breakdown and all of a sudden Montreal is going to find that space and attack it ruthlessly. Um, I would like to see uh, a little more, um, a little more aggressive play from Sean Franklin, especially if Piotti is going to be out on the left. Um, 
but that comes with its own risk because if you get mm-hmm. caught out, Piotti is now behind the fullback. But on the other hand, if if Franklin is is constantly in in Piotti's face, if if when DC goes forward, if he's trying to get around uh, Piotti and, and join the attack, all of a sudden either Piotti's got to track back or Harry Ship if he ends up on the left. One of those two has to go join the defense, which neither one of them has much interest in doing or much ability when they're there. Um, or uh, the left back gets overloaded. Um, so you have to, I guess, put Montreal in situations where they're the ones having to choose the two from two bad uh, possibilities, because otherwise they will put you to that test over and over again. Um, I also think, you know, if United goes through the air a little bit, they might be able to get something going because Cabrera's undersized. Um, Simon isn't great in the air. He's not elite. He's not Kendall Waston or Steve Birnbaum. Um, and Hasun Kamara makes a lot of mistakes. So playing a little direct uh, up the middle, um, whether it, whether it's Simon or Kamara or Lefebvre coming back all of a sudden, um, there's a vulnerability in the air there where United might not win. It might not be headed goals. It might be more like knockdowns that p- people can run on to in the run of play. Um, but it's still going to be a really difficult test, despite the fact that Montreal has been hot and cold all year. Yeah, so it sounds like United's going to need to get more bodies in the box no matter what happens, whether it's dribbling, whether it's looking for knockdowns and second balls, whether it's whatever yeah, it helps. is. You, yeah, Nick DeLeon needs to get into the box or whoever is partnering Acosta in central midfield and not is not named Marcelo Sargos or not Sargos and Marcelo Sarvas throwback there every week. Every, you've done that like every week. I have not passed couple. Week. It's two weeks. About. It's definitely two weeks in a row. Really? Yeah. yeah we did this last week. <sighs> <laughs> Anything else you guys want to talk about on Montreal before we get out of here? All right. We successfully got <laughs> that over with. Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us on blackandredunited.com find us on twitter at filibusterdcu for this podcast at blackandredu for the website we are on email we are on itunes we're on stitcher we're on soundcloud send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com mostly though just tell a friend about the show that's the way people find out about us and we're always grateful when the word spreads so for jason and ben i am adam thank you very much for listening we'll talk to you real soon hopefully under better circumstances say goodbye jason Marcelo Saragosa. <laughs> <laughs>